Hello there! This is the Kingdom of Pinfall of Fantasy Wrestling Alternate Universe Fan Fiction Podcast of Fun and Adventure. I am Michelle, and we are now on Chapter 13. Uh, I'm recording a bunch of chapters in a row, so I'm losing steam here already. This chapter contains some language, but I think other than that, it is pretty harmless. Uh, I think I do Pete's accent, which is hit or miss with me, so... Let's go! Let's get started and check the episode description for links that are relevant, please. Okay, onward! Chapter 13, Daddy's Home. A loud buzzer sounds as Champa and his companions approach the fortress. There are watchmen all along the citadel walls, and their job is to announce each and every visitor with that grating sound. Everyone except Champa pauses and exchanges a glance at the noise. They pause a second time when they hear the decrepit creaking of the drawbridge as it begins to lower. The war game Citadel is a remnant from before the first WrestleMania. It is ancient, made of solid stone and unforgiving chain link that stands defiantly in the middle of the realm of NXT. They don't just let everyone come in, right? Keith seeks some confirmation. Expecting us, Champa mutters and urges them on. The universe begins a steady and eerie chant as they get closer, saying over and over, Daddy's home. Daddy's home. When was the last time you were here, bro? Matt is the only person in the group to speak as they stand in the shadow of cold, dreary walls. He advances to the front of the group to walk beside Champa. The gaping maw on the opposite side of the drawbridge does not look welcoming. The chants of the universe don't sound all that welcoming either. It has silenced everyone, except for Matt, who doesn't seem to pick up on the foreboding gloom emanating from the city within. As they cross the drawbridge, they pass over the dried moat, the bottom of which is at least 50 feet below them. It feels like a lifetime, Champa answers him a moment before as they enter the gates. I suppose it has been. The passageway through the citadel walls has no lights and no guards. The drawbridge raises behind them once they've all crossed over. There's only one entrance, and it has closed behind them. Emerging on the other side of the passage, they are met by storefronts with flickering neon lights in the shapes of martinis, nude women, and some that just say open, without even revealing what they're selling behind their dark curtained windows. You sure about this, Tommaso? Keith asks, studying his surroundings. The streets are deserted and too quiet. Is this how it always is here, or did the people seek shelter when they entered? They've closed the gate, Champa says, as if it can't be reopened by whoever is manning it. He continues moving down the street, seeming to know where he's going as everyone else trails behind him. He knows his way through the once great, now run-down city. It's a shame that such magnificent walls are protecting a cesspool. 
The daddy's home chanting fades away as the four of them get closer and closer to the center of the citadel, where the war games tower sits unoccupied, except by rats and probably some other scant wildlife. Champa stops and gazes up toward the pinnacle of the structure. The stained glass windows have all been broken, and the ground at their feet is littered with a rainbow of shards that once told some story or another. Whoa, bro, Matt says in awe as he looks up toward the top of the tower. Pete removes his belt from his teeth to speak for the first time since leaving the battle scene to the south. He says flatly with the utmost seriousness, This is the place then, Tom Champion. Only Matt laughs. Pete does not even laugh at his own joke, or even so much as crack a smile. It may not have been a joke. Champa nods. This is where I gave up Goldie. I handed her to Triple H. I gave up the belt of power that was mine, and I walked away. Why? asked Keith, unsure of fact versus fiction when it came to the grizzled spellcaster that only recently emerged from the forest. I betrayed what it stood for. He answered cryptically, and like many of his answers, it really isn't one. He moves toward the tower and beneath a vine and moss-covered arch. I caused this. I tore through the citadel. I made it this way and paved the path for Undisputed Era, for Shayna Baszler, for all of this. I was weak and afraid, and I am not saying that I started the coming WrestleMania, but I certainly had a hand in the crumbling of NXT. The orb at the tip of his staff begins to glow more brightly and illuminates the path ahead that leads to the main doors of the tower. Do you know what the question was? No one answers him, and he kicks open the rotten doors. They swing inward, and the one on the right crumbles from its hinges. The question was, he goes on, do you want to fix what you destroyed? Not focusing remotely on the bulk of what Champa said, Matt then asks, Bro, you really met Triple H? Like, the god of the realm of NXT? Before he vanished into the night never to return? Champa doesn't bother answering at all. Pete rolls his eyes and sighs. He changes the subject as they make their way to the tower. I worry about the archer still. I don't like archers. I worry about Johnny joining Adam Cole, Keith says sullenly, disappointed. He should have sensed Johnny's dishonesty and coming betrayal. He sensed tension, but had no idea of its extent. Champa snarls at the mention of both men's names, and then he turns back and raises his staff, pointing it toward the broken old doors. They begin to glow faintly, creaking and cracking as they are mended. He then looks around the large room, seeing it covered in dirt and leaves, illuminated only by his magic. A large black rat scurries into a corner. The entire tower has been picked clean of anything of value, from the carpet to the light fixtures that had once lined the high ceiling. The gold leaf that embellished the railings of the stairway is all gone, leaving only cold metal. There are bare rectangles on the walls where paintings once hung, and crumbling remnants of statues of Triple H. We broke the prophecy of Undisputed Era, bros, Matt tells them happily as he roamed the large empty space, entranced by the muscular sculptures even though they're in pieces. A slow clapping echoes down from the alcove above. The four of them look up and see Charlotte standing near the railing on the balcony of the second floor. 
Keith isn't sure how someone can clap sarcastically, but the woman is clapping sarcastically, looming like a phantom. She makes him feel very uneasy, and he unintentionally lets out a nervous chuckle. She fills him with even more dread. His dread is now overflowing, spilling out as a giggle. She is standing almost completely in shadow, out of range of Champa's magical light. They can only tell that it's her by the faint appearance of her blonde hair and the recognizable dark mass behind her that is the high-feathered collar of her robe. Hello, boys, she says and takes a step forward out of the darkness. Her hair is slightly unkempt and there's a bit of blood streaking her face and neck. She stops clapping, draping her arms over the balcony instead, revealing in the dim light a bit of blood on her hands as well. She isn't bothered by any of this, and she says, Oh, it's the correct number of you this time. How convenient. Now we don't have to stand around debating who the betrayer is. Huh? Pete mutters. She waves her hand dismissively. Congratulations on putting an end to the prophecy that Adam Cole made up, by the way. Well done. Huh? Pete repeats. What I meant to say was congratulations. You've gained possession of belts of power and killed most of UE. Everyone in SmackDown has managed to lose all of the belts they had over the course of a single day, and I'm starting to think you all are the only hope for pinfall. She corrects with a wry smile and looks at Champa, the only one among them without a belt. How do we use them, bro? Matt asks excitedly with his hands on the chest of an armless marble triple H statue. I mean, ma'am. Her gaze shifts to him only briefly, and she asks, The more important question at hand is, Do any of you know who the fuck was shooting at me? I have a deep-rooted hatred of being shot at. Pete shakes his head. We searched and found no one, no sign of anyone, and they didn't come after us. Charlotte makes a thoughtful noise. Whoever the hell it was shot at Johnny first before that cute little switcheroo he pulled. She looks again toward Matt, who has put his belt on a different but headless Triple H statue. What is he doing? Fuck's sake! Pete lets out an exasperated groan and then hurls his belt across the room at Matt, who is climbing up next to the statue. Hold on, Stallion Pete, Matt says and kicks away the belt that was thrown at him. He hoists himself up, using the huge stone arm of the statue. Everyone watches as he does a pull-up of sorts and scrambles with his flip-flops up the back of the huge headless marble rendition of the god of NXT. He ends up on the back with his legs wrapped around the chest and he looks at the thick neck and then reaches his hand down into it. The statue is hollow. Keith is confused and approaches. Yeah, bro, and there's something in it. Matt answers. His entire arm vanishes into Triple H's neck. His face looks strained as he reaches as far down into the statue as he can without ripping off his own arm. He sticks out his tongue and closes one eye. After a moment, he grins. Got it. It's kind of warm. He grabbed a rat, Keith sighs. He's about to pull out a rat. If he pulls a goddamn rat out of Triple H's neck, Champa shakes his head. No, my stallion companions, he says insistently. It's a ball. Rats are way softer. 
Charlotte wraps her fingers on the railing, still looking down at all of them, watching Matt closely. This is how you trap raccoons, Keith tells them then. You put something shiny in a hole, and the raccoon can get its little hand in to grab it. But then when it's holding it, the hole is too small for it to get its little fist out. I feel like that's what's happening. Nah, stallion Keith, my hand is not going to get stuck, he tells him and goes to yank it out dramatically. It doesn't come, and he frowns. Pete groans and Champa shakes his head again and completely turns away, unable to even look at him anymore. Matt's lips curl again into a triumphant grin and he pulls his hand out, revealing a round, polished orb, not terribly unlike the one atop Champa's staff. I was joking, bros, he announces. Matthew Riddle, Charlotte says, and he looks up, still clinging to the statue. How did you know that was in there? I heard it, bro. I mean, your royal queenness, or stallion queen. He extends the black orb out toward her, although she's many feet above him. It's humming. Champa turns back around to see what the object is, and his eyes widen. Everyone gravitates toward Matt to investigate more closely. Only Charlotte doesn't seem surprised and remains in place. A murmur of agreement passes between them that the orb is indeed humming. Keith looks up toward the queen and decides to ask her, What is it? Champa knows. She nods to him. Don't you, Champa? It's the focus for a staff, he states, but does not explicate. Uh, what staff? She prompts him for more. She knows the answer, but wants him to tell his friends. The staff of the black heart. My staff. I removed the focus and destroyed the rod. I left it here with Triple H when I abandoned the NXT belt of power. I vowed never to use the magic contained in that cursed ball again. He speaks very flatly. And that's why you got beaten by a scrawny rogue using a little invisibility magic. Charlotte prods at him. One of the strongest living spellcasters, heir to the Citadel, gave it all up to go live in the woods. Why? Did you bring me here to insult me? He snaps. I merely asked you a question, she scolds him. I brought you here to see if you would come, to see if you'd return to this place that you abandoned. You did. I wanted to see if anyone would follow you, and here we are. Now fix what you destroyed. Unite the realm. Get your belt back. Adam Cole doesn't understand the half of its power, but you do. Everyone's heads turn to Champa, and Matt holds the focus out to him from where he's still piggybacking the decapitated statue. Champa looks at it for a moment and begrudgingly takes it. He looks at it briefly before dropping it into his pack. He is repulsed. Bro, it burned my hand. Matt mumbles unsurely and looks at his palm, seeing rapidly reddening blisters forming. Why didn't you fucking put it down? Pete reprimands him and then punches him hard in his thigh. Confused by his own actions and trying to make sense of them, he tells him, Once I picked it up, I couldn't let it go. Until he took it. It, like, told me I had to hold it. I didn't feel it until now. I'll heal it, Keith steps forward quickly. Don't bother, Champa tells him, looking for something else in his pack. It won't work. It's a magical burn. 
Here's a magical salve. He hands Pete a small vial of what looks like brown sludge. I can heal magical injuries, Keith insists, his brow furrowing. Not this magic, he tells him. This concerns the paladin, who then asks, What type of magic is it, Tommaso? Don't look at me like that, he tells Keith firmly. It isn't forbidden, exactly. It's just void magic. Void magic. Keith is looking more and more worried by the second. He shakes his head to dispel the thoughts of void magic, and he says instead, Not to backtrack, but let's backtrack. You know how to use the belts of power. Champa nods, and Keith continues, stepping up to the much smaller man. We didn't need to leave Dominic. Charlotte cuts in. Tisk tisk. Calm your righteousness, Keith. Dominic is the tall guy, right? Warrior. Dual wields some swords. Got his leg cut off. That guy? Keith nods, affirmative, although his friend's leg had not been completely severed. She continues. You can't trust him. He should know how to use the belts. He was never meant to be here. Silence follows as everyone seems to think about her words. The silence is promptly cut short by Matt sliding down the statue, making a lot of squeaking noises with his flip-flops, and then breaking off one of Triple H's fingers, which comes clattering to the floor along with the man. Sorry, bro, he whispers and begins trying to reattach it with his greased-up, magically-salved hand. We're the only hope for pinfall? Champa muses and laughs slightly. The first sign of mirth he's shown in days, or weeks even. A reluctant dark wizard, a concerned paladin, a grumpy shaman, and Matt Riddle. Charlotte shrugs. I'm hoping you can rally a few more. Also, find out who is shooting at me, please. She steps back suddenly into the shadows and says abruptly, I have to go. What do you mean you have to go? Keith asks, dismayed. She makes him uncomfortable, but he also doesn't want her to leave until he's done talking to her. I mean that I have to go, she speaks quickly. Champa, tell them about the belts and have Moro fashion a new rod for the staff of the Black Heart. This time have it made of birch so it doesn't make you lose your mind. Try not to die before I get back and turn the lights on, you fucking weirdos. Skulking around in the dark doesn't make you more interesting. In the next second, a raven swoops down from the balcony and out of one of the shattered windows past them. Was it just me, or was she not super helpful? Matt asks with his hands on his hips. She didn't even do a woo, Pete observes and hangs his head. Matt snickers and Champa cocks his head to the side, unsure if Pete is joking. Pete clarifies a moment later and says, I'm serious. It's disappointing as shit. He then walks over to a row of light switches on the wall and flicks them all on. The fluorescent tubes flicker for a few seconds and then remain on. Only a few are completely busted. The glow of the lights reveals how filthy the room is and displays the vandalism on the walls. Gargano's winking face logo is everywhere, mocking Champa, mocking them all. Champa grunts and looks at the three men. I'm going tomorrow. Start cleaning this place up. I'm coming with you, Keith asserts. Okay, man, Champa says and starts out through the doors he repaired. Matt and Pete look at one another, and the leaves and dirt begin swirling around them in a brown and gray cyclone. Pete makes a flicking motion with his fingers, and the debris starts flying out of the broken windows. 
Matt, leaving his belt strapped to the big, headless Triple H statue, wanders off to another part of the ground floor of the tower. Back on the dark streets of war games, Keith mulls over his thoughts. He's having a lot of them. He follows Champa as he moves to the city with the fluidity of someone that never left. He holds his staff determinedly, and the white glowing orb creates shifting shadows that stretch toward Keith before shrinking away again. Champa makes no effort to talk to Keith, no effort to explain. He just keeps moving, sidestepping trash and lunging over mysterious puddles of gray water. Tommaso, Keith finally says. Keith, the bearded man answers without turning or stopping. Void magic, he says inquisitively. Void magic, he states. And Charlotte Flair? He says with the same curious, mistrustful tone. Charlotte Flair. Champa doesn't hesitate and crosses the street. Keith pauses and looks both ways for carriages and then asks, She wants to help us. Seems so, is his answer. They pass by several buildings with signs posted on the doors expressing that they're condemned along with various warnings about danger. Then they come upon an oddly out-of-place two-story house. It's a very skinny house that looks like it was built in the alley between two other buildings as an afterthought. The first floor windows all feature iron bars like many of the windows of shops they passed. One window has a small neon sign that simply reads, Pawn! They trudge up the few rickety wooden steps to the door. The sign hanging from a string is turned to the side that says, Closed! Champa knocks firmly on the door anyway. Inside, a voice cries out, Mamma Mia! They both hear several locks being unbolted, and the door swings open. A sweaty man with glasses stands before them, clutching at his hair. He bellows, Ah! Tommaso Champa! What the hell the... Wow! Wow! My God! He splays his arms out and yells, Where did you come from? And Keith Lee is with you! Oh my God, I can't believe it! Champa blinks and waits to see if Mardo is finished. The man continues flailing his arms and silently mouthing, wow, over and over, but he speaks, getting right to the point. I need you to reforge the rod of the staff of the black heart. You need me to do what? He wails and grabs his forehead. Make it from birch this time, he tells him. Birch? Birch? Morrow yells, but you destroyed that staff. It is too dangerous for mortals. The power is just too great, but... Oh my god, mamma mia! If the rod is made of birch, he steps inside. Come in! Come in! The two men enter the cluttered abode. The first floor is Mauro's pawn shop, which is filled from floor to ceiling with things. All the things. Musical instruments, fishing poles, weapons, jewelry, paintings, and incomprehensible quantities of ballpoint pens. He closes and locks the door behind them and then scurries ahead of them again. He leads them up the stairs to the second floor, which is where he lives. His private quarters look very much like his shop, except there are places to sit, and he has monitors everywhere to view the security cameras he has set up outside and downstairs. Can I see the focus? Do you have the focus, Tommaso Champa? Moro whirls around and asks him. I have it, yes. No, you cannot see it. You know that he tells him calmly. WrestleMania, he announces as loud as he can and throws his head back. What a time to be alive, 
He nods and vanishes behind a stack of newspapers. Keith turns to Champa and says quietly, What is the staff, Tommaso? What is this void magic? Champa places his hand on Keith's shoulder. You're a good man, and I'm going to ask you for a favor later. A favor? What's going on? Keith's deep voice trembles. I am a paladin, Tommaso. I am sworn to protect the light, and... And you're worried about all of this dark magic you found yourself tangled up with. Champa grasps his other shoulder and shakes him gently. I would not ask you to stop protecting the light. I am asking you to fight beside me against a greater darkness. Maro reemerges, carrying a rather large tree limb. Miraculously, he doesn't knock anything over with it. Champa releases Keith, and they both look at the bespectacled man as he begins speaking excitedly. I happen to have this birch branch. Will it work, Champa? Champa touches the bark and nods. We need it as soon as possible, Maro. How much do I owe you? You owe me nothing! Maro is appalled. Mama Mia, save NXT! Daddy is home! The loud buzzer shakes the entire house, and a porcelain duck tumbles from a shelf onto the floor at Champa's feet. Moro whirls around with the limb and knocks several other knickknacks from the shelf as he looks toward a monitor mounted in the corner. He also has security cameras affixed to the watchtowers on the fortress walls. Is that Dominic? Keith squints. Looks like it. I guess he found someone to fix his leg. Champa pats Keith's chest. The belts, he begins. They work the same way all magical objects do. He laughs and shrugs. Go greet your friend at the gate. Do you believe what Charlotte said about him? Do we trust him? I don't know. I didn't think Johnny would... He shakes his head and rubs his beard, bringing an end to his sentence. Keith sighs and shows himself out. His unease has not been calmed. Out of the range of the Watchmen of the Citadel, Liv stands with her arms crossed and her collection of newly resurrected men behind her. She looks toward the dimly lit windows dotting the side of the fortress. A portal opens in front of her and Shayna steps out, flanked by her two minions as per usual. She clenches her jaw, pats her belt, and the portal closes as she saunters over to the blonde. She stands face to face with Liv, staring her down for a moment before looking over her shoulder at the men and giving her an approving nod. Bianca Belair is in raw, Liv tells her. No sign of Rhea Ripley. Shayna walks around, displaying no emotion about the news Liv has given her. She examines each of the men, then asks, How many of these can you make? As many as there are bodies, I guess. She gives her a shrug. I've already got a bunch roaming around and starting to terrorize the peasants. Shayna lets out an approving grunt as another portal opens. From this one steps Adam Cole, his face bandaged and Johnny Gargano on his heels. Wow, Shayna says flatly, seeing his bandaged wounds. This doesn't look promising at all. He snarls, then turns to Liv and yells, Fix my face! Watch your tone, little man, Shayna says, stepping between him and Liv. Don't forget who you're speaking to. She is the captain of the Doom Guard, and I will rip out your kidneys and make them into a smoothie in front of you. Johnny doesn't speak. He doesn't make eye contact with Shayna or even look in her direction. He looks small behind Adam, who is not a large man himself by any means. 
Adam shies away from Shayna, takes a deep breath, and tries again. Sister Abigail, please fix my face. No, she replies with a spiteful laugh. He opens his mouth to shriek at her, but closes it tightly and quickly, feeling Shayna's gaze on him. I'll do you one better, Liv says to him. You can have your friends back. The three other members of Undisputed Era shamble toward him. He recoils slightly, and she says, They'll become more sentient after a while. Right now, they're in a rather infantile state. They'll be almost as good as new in a couple days, except Roderick. Holy fire is really gnarly. This seems to calm him, or at least he doesn't protest. Shayna walks around him to Johnny and places her hand under his chin, forcing him to look at her. Johnny, she says softly, almost pleasantly. I don't like paladins, but that goes without saying, I think. You're going to have to do a bit more to gain our trust to become one of us. She grabs his throat and says, A little oath-breaking isn't quite enough to make you one of the forces of evil. It just makes you a really shitty paladin. He swallows nervously and she lets him go, then looks back at Adam. Liv is gently peeling the bandage from his face, saying in a babying voice, Let me see what that mean bird bitch did to you. Will you fix it? He asks her again bleeding this time. Nope, she laughs. I'll get you a nice eye patch, though. And that's it. Tune in next week for chapter 14, the one where Mandy Rose saves everyone by hitting dudes in the dick. I bet you can guess what happens in that chapter. It is a ton of fun. Um, this chapter is also a ton of fun. I love Maro a lot, and he will definitely be coming back later for everyone's amusement. Um, that's it. I think. Uh, yeah, next chapter is a lot of action. Thank you for listening. Come back next week, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and goodbye.